Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello and welcome to episode 31 and the last episode of 2019 for the Endurance Horse Podcast. This is Chris, your host, and it is Christmas Day and it is 50 degrees in Wisconsin. I decided to totally go off any traditional looking Christmas dinner and I invited my family out to Horse Riders Camp and we cooked out and the barbecue and I brought a horse out and we did painting and we had a lot of fun. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's ridden along with us. I'm literally out on the trails with Houdini right now, which is appropriate since he was the horse I started the idea with for the podcast. I want to thank you to everybody who has sent in this year, and I hope a lot more people will send in next year, and we can just watch the podcast grow together. So without further ado, I am going to go ride. I hope 2020 brings us all closer together and everybody has goals that they are working for. And I love hearing from you all. So please send in happy Christmas, happy holidays, and we'll catch you on the other side. Hi, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand. It's actually Christmas Day, um, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, it's been a marvellous day with my family, with my ponies. Didn't go riding, but hung out with them a bit. So I'm just going to catch you up on the last two rides that Lace and I have done. Dancer hasn't done anything since the last the 40Ks that I told you about because I'm just concentrating on Lace as I get her ready for the big rides that I'm hoping to do with her this season. So the last one I told you about with Lace was the her first 80k after two years off. She did that really well. We had another one um, in November and we had to do this one successfully in order to qualify for the first of the big three, the 120 at Kaitaiki in the middle of December. It was a new course, it was up north in Auckland. I hadn't ridden this course before but I'd heard that it had some work in it, and that was certainly true. It took us nine and a half hours concentrating on just looking after my pony. I was riding with a friend, and we had a lovely day. There were beautiful views out over the Hokianga Harbour. Yes, it was a tough course, but, you know, we just looked after our horses, walked up most of the hills. Um, it took nine and a half hours to do the whole ride, uh, three loops, 30Ks, the same loop twice, and then the last loop was just 20Ks and it was over some of the course that we'd already done. And that's that's often how it is in New Zealand. We don't always have um, a lot of ground to work with, so often, even though the loops might be different distances, we're often covering ground that we've already covered before and... That can sometimes get a little bit challenging later in the ride. You've seen it all, it's nothing new. 
And I've discovered with lace some years ago that, you know how in the big rides we start, endurance riders are great at riding along on a loose rein. That's what we enjoy, that's what we specialise in. Our horses are relaxed, they're going forward, we're relaxed. But I find with lace that that can come back to haunt you a little later in the ride because you're going along on a loose rein, you're getting tired and your horse, you and your horse will both switch off and you're feeling tired, you're slopping along and you're just all thinking about how tired you are. And so I've found with lace it makes a huge difference if in the last loop or two when we might be starting to get tired, if I just pick up the reins and get a bit of a contact and put energy in myself and that really helps her. She goes, oh, what are we doing? Let's go. And it just makes the last loops much safer because if I'm paying attention, if I'm got a bit of a contact, I have a better chance of guiding her and not making mistakes with a tired horse. I find that she's more likely to trip, so you, you're more active, you're more watching, and you're not behaving in a tired fashion, so your horse stops behaving in a tired fashion. I found that really helps her. So for the last loop of this ride, I consciously put that into effect, and again, it made a huge difference. You know, she was really trying for me. And that's, so we've done our 280Ks now, and in both rides, she really um, seems to be still enjoying it. That's at 19 years old, that's sort of my constant worry is, you know, when I start stepping up the distance, does she still want to do it? And if she doesn't, that's cool. We'll just go back and do the shorter rides. But if she is still enjoying it, then I really love riding her. So she recovered well from that ride and we were building up for the 120. And again, stepping up the distance again with an older horse, again, I start questioning myself all the time, is she going to want to step up and do another 40Ks, step up from the 80 to the 120? And always with Lace when she's getting fit as well, even when she was younger, when she starts getting fit, she starts getting a bit miffy about training you know it gets a bit boring it's not really that exciting and I try and take her out and do things but a lot of it's just short rides making sure she's metabolically okay um, so you know you don't tend to sort of put them in the trailer and take them places just for a 30 minute walk jog so it can get a little tedious and again I start worrying you know does she really want to play this game anymore well we took her to Kaitaiki. Again, it was a new course. I hadn't ridden it before. And when the course marker, who normally will tell you something along the lines in the ride briefing, he'll tell you something along the lines of, oh, there's only a couple of hills. And when you ride it, you go, really? Only a couple of hills? What do you think this is? As you're going up, you know, moderate slopes. But he doesn't call those hills. So when he says... It's not a gut buster. You think, yeah, it might be. And it was described afterwards by the winner of the ride. Yes, it was a gut buster. Um, a, lot of, a lot of hill terrain, even when you thought it was flat, actually you found you were going up 
a gentle slope a lot of the time and there was a lot of work in it. It was a great ride. Um, I was riding with my very good friends Kerry and Richard. Their horses were doing the first 120s and again it's my aim this season to just slow lace down, look after her and so I was riding with Kerry and Richard and that was really awesome. It's always great to ride with your friends. Um, often in the big rides they are my crew so to have the chance to ride with them was awesome. This is Courtney Kruger. I'm with Ride and Tie. And I want to tell you a little different kind of a story today about uh, a song that was written about my horse Coda and my daughter Sarah. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is David Wilcox, and he was in Chattanooga a few weeks ago, and Lee, my wife, and Sarah, my daughter, and I all went to see him. And I knew that one of the things he loves to do at his concerts is to ask somebody to tell him a story, and then he just spontaneously writes a song about that story at, at that moment. And so when he asked for somebody to tell a story, I was kind of prepared, and I raised my hand, and I told him about Coda, our horse, who earlier this summer uh, popped a suspensory ligament in his branch uh, suspensory tendon uh, and um, how he's been going through recovery and that we fully expect him and the vets fully expect him to recover but you just never know about those things and then I told him about my daughter Sarah who was sitting right there at the table kind of getting red uh, while I was telling the story about how she had just graduated from college with a double major and a summa cum laude and she could make a million dollars if she wanted to, but instead she really wants to give her life to working in criminal justice and criminal justice reform. And she really wants to change the world. But stories or, or uh, jobs uh, in that field are kind of few and far between. And so that was going to be rather difficult, and it was being difficult, her finding the job that she wanted to find where she could really make a difference. And I just know it's going to happen. But as I told David Wilcox, you just never know. And so he took those two stories and he wove them into this wonderful song about Sarah riding Coda and Coda kind of talking to her. And as I have been doing rehab with Coda, uh, lately we have been uh, walking for 30 minutes under saddle. And it's just Coda and me out there in our arena walking and walking and walking. And it's kind of boring for both of us because uh, we both love to go fast and we can't go fast right now. But as we're walking, I've been playing him this song and telling him that this is his song. And so here is the song that David Wilcox did. One of the things I love about his concerts is he gives you permission to record these songs because he just sings them once and then they're never there again. If you don't record it, it's gone forever. And so I want you now have the chance to hear the song that David Wilcox wrote about Sarah and about Coda. What's the horse's name? Coda. Coda. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that song writes itself. <laughs> Sarah. All right, here we go. With an H? Yes. You better believe it. <laughs>
There's no way of knowing what will happen beyond today. But I'm happy to feel us riding this way. Sarah, I can tell you know to take it easy. So we'll just lope along slow and breezy. I know the way you need to turn. I can feel it when you you don't have to move the reins too hard. I know from how you turn your shoulders. I can feel the way you're cautious of me. But all I wish I could say is that I will run wild through these woods one day. But we never know what's ahead of us. Someday, I hope you can see through me to see how I changed my future after all. The way that I say to you, without words, just with my deep brown eyes when you're brushing. Fine. Say that I don't need the extra grain. Say that I'll be fine just the same somehow. So when you're back inside the house, back inside your dreaming, I hope that you can feel the confidence right now. As if this life, this faith, this wonder, this series of coincidence you're riding, it can feel the directions that you give. And when you lean with hopeful optimism at that passage through the trees, you know that it will feel the way you steer. You don't have to worry about all those applications, making sense it somehow. It's gonna lead you through just like the way I do. Sure we know the way back to the barn. Sure we know the smells on the wind. But the thing we need to know is where we go from here. How do we see the path? How do we open to what might be? How do we find a way to say I'm not all as strong as I wish I was But still I can take my time and open Tell you through this ride that you'll be fine And we will ride And not just through the woods but through all Subtle English, the way you steer with the 
The way you shift your weight and tell the world you're turning. The way you know that it's listening. The way you know that it can hear. The way you know it's taking you to where you need to be. And we both will ride again. Hello, this is Carrie Bears from the Southeast region. I was on here a while ago talking about Comet's Carino, the horse that I bought back in the spring, um, my first horse, and I had talked also about my friends in the ride and tie community and how wonderful they are, and they are still very wonderful. Um, but I wanted to do a little update on Comet, as we've been calling him, and um, the fact that he did 172 miles of ride and tie this season, which was his first. And he also did uh, one 30-mile LD um, at Biltmore in the spring. Um, I had talked about that a little bit on here. But we had a few really, really great races together. We did um, his first back-to-back -back was in July at Old Dominion. And if you've been to Old Dominion, you know how challenging those trails can be. We did two 20-mile ride and ties back-to-back, -back, and he just came through the weekend with flying colors. He did really well. Um, got a little tired on the second day, but he uh, rallied and did really well out there. And um, it was warm, you know, being July in Virginia and humid. And we also do the OD ride and tie weekend as a night ride followed by a day ride. So you start um, just around, you know, right before sunset, and end up finishing the ride in the dark. And so I'd never been out on the dark with him. We stayed with another team the whole time, but he was just perfectly content trotting through the woods in the dark and, you know, walking um, in the kind of dicier areas, but he just had no problems on the trail in the dark, and I was really pleased with how he behaved. Uh, he's definitely gotten used to the game of being a ride and tie pony, uh, especially shown in July, or August, I'm sorry, when we had our championship race in Tennessee, and um, my, I had, before the ride even began, I went through two partners. Uh, my first partner, um, Rick, had um, an injury and wasn't able to come to the ride, and then uh, another friend of mine was going to come out with me, but she uh, wasn't able to um, just a couple weeks before the event, so I ended up teaming up with Caleb Mason, um, who I know his um, family really well, and he is 13, and he really wanted to come out and do the championships. So I said, you know, why not? Let's see how this goes. Um, definitely was a little bit worried beforehand about putting, um, you know, a green rider on a pretty green horse. Comet's pretty chill, but still with that many horses, he'd never been out really on the trail in a ride and tie with a lot of teams at the same time. Um, and, you know, also it's, you know, putting a 13-year-old on your horse can be a little bit worrisome, but um, we just had a great time. It's, um, we started out with another team and stuck together for the first loop, so we are always, you know, tying uh, with another team and running with another team. So Caleb was with somebody else um, for the first loop. And then going into the second loop, um, we split off from them, and, you know, we had a couple of 
you know, just little miscommunications here and there about, you know, who was where on the trail and, you know, leaving the vet check. Um, like I left the vet check on the horse, assuming he'd already left on foot, but he hadn't left yet. But we figured it out um, pretty quickly. And Comet was just wonderful with him all day. Um, and it was super fun hearing him come down the trail because he was so positive all day. And I just hear, you know, him yelling, yo, Carrie, I'm coming, um, as he trot down the trail after me on Comet. And Comet was just so good with him all day. And Caleb's a great rider, um, but, you know, it's always when someone young is out there with you, you get, you know, you're a little more, I guess, careful than you would be with another adult. Not that I'm not careful with my adult partners, too, but um, you know what I mean. But anyway, the um, kind of the the thing that really made me say several times that day that I just love this pony so much is that at the beginning of the race, uh, my friend Amy and I started together. She was riding our friend Charlie's horse, Ty. Um, she and Ty, or she, Ty and Charlie were a team, and Caleb and Comet and I were a team. And so, um, Charlie, or sorry, Amy and I were um, going down the trail at about a mile out. We decided to tie the horses, and I hop off Comet. And she goes to hop off Ty, and Ty's wearing a more, you know, Western-style saddle. It's got a horn. And Amy's wearing, um, you know, a running pack, a water pack. And her strap um, gets caught on the saddle horn as she goes to dismount. So I turn around, and she is basically dangling off the side of the horse. Ty's kind of tall. Um, so she's kind of dangling off the side, like, you know, her, her pack is hooked on the saddle horn. Um, I'm holding Comet. She's um, holding Ty, you know, as she's like hanging off the side of him. So I pretty much um, like just stuck Comet's lead rope under my armpit and, you know, pushed up on Amy until I could get her up and like off of the saddle horn. Now, I'm not a big or strong person, so I basically had to like jam my shoulder underneath her and just shove her up until she could get her strap off her pack. But the whole time... Comet just stood there. I mean, granted, he was with another horse, but he was sort of, you know, like around the other side of Ty for me, backwards, and, you know, his lead rope was kind of pushing on Ty, and Ty just stood there, too, and the two of them were just kind of like, okay, the humans are being crazy, like, you know, whatever. But there's horses running by us. It's the beginning of the race. There's people running by. There's horses going by, and the two of them just stood there, you know? It's just amazing sometimes the way you know, we can trust these animals. Um, but there are a lot of other horses I've been with that would have, you know, been gone at that moment. Um, so it was just, you know, I was really proud of him for that. Uh, he kept his cool and, you know, I got Amy safely off. We tied the horses, started running down the trail and we just kept saying like, I can't believe that just happened. And we still have 34 more miles to go. Um, but anyway, the rest of the race was much less, um, eventful than that. Um, so anyway, you know, Caleb and I finished the race. We did pretty well, uh, finished right in the middle of the pack and just had a good day. And that's all I was looking for. Um, so that was probably the, the, you know, the, really the height of our season, but we went on and did a couple more races, um, you know, Big South Fork and, Meadow Creek, but like I said, he uh, he did 172 miles of ride and tie in his first season, and uh, 30 mile LD. So I'm pretty happy with those those numbers. I um, in you know in my own uh, history, I started ride and tie just a few years ago, 2013. I did my first race, and I only did one that season. But since then, I've been able to do a lot of races, and this season. 
Um, I think I will be up around close to 500 miles for this season. Um, I'm headed to Florida um, for the Gallup on the Greenway uh, in a week uh, with the Krugers. Um, Courtney and I are partnering. We're taking Comet with us, so he should get um, a few more miles. Um, I think it's two 25-mile races we're doing, so he should get 50 more miles. And I will also get 50 more miles for the season, but and Courtney as well. Um, but we also, I hit 2,000 um, career ride and time miles this season. So I'm actually at 2,002 miles, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, a lot of hard work has gone into that. A lot of begging other people to let me ride their horses. Not that I really have to beg, but asking politely and borrowing horses and, you know, being asked to be a partner um, with others. But mostly it was really, really, really cool for me to spend a good chunk of the season riding my own horse. And that's not something I've ever been able to do before. And, you know, um, we're obviously still learning together. He's learning, I'm learning. Um, and we're working on, you know, things together, um, trail wise and training wise and all that. And, you know, I, again, I always have to thank the, the Kruger family for taking him in and taking care of him for me. Cause they do such a wonderful job with him and with me. Um, but anyway, that's, that's me checking in, um, at the almost end of the season. Like I said, we've got one more ride and I'm really excited to go down to Florida after the holidays, um, before the new year and get a few more miles in this season right at the end. And also, um, you know, spend some time in warm weather. It is pretty cold in here, here in the Western North Carolina mountains right now. And so I am happy to be heading to the sunshine. So, um, I hope everybody has happy trails as we go into the winter and I hope to see you all soon at some rides. Hello, this is Brooke Moller again from Iowa. I wanted to send in another story. So I'm sitting here looking at all my Christmas lights. The weather isn't quite matching the mood. Here in Iowa, at the end of October, early November, we had snow and now it's warm again. Just very strange. And it makes me really envious of those who don't have a full-time job who can go out during the day on these nice days and go out riding. And by the time I can ride and get off work, it's dark. I guess I could go riding in the dark, but not so motivated. It looks like this weekend is going to be beautiful, so I am hopefully going to get a conditioning ride in this weekend. But I wanted to tell you a story of my first novice ride and the events leading up to it. So I introduced my horse, Rusty. He is a um, 14 coming on 15 year old Morgan horse. And he is such a great horse, uh, very sensitive and willing to please and very trainable. However, his one vice is that he spooks very easily and he can be unpredictable sometimes in high-strung hit situations and like I said I just learned about endurance riding just by googling it then I found the closest ride to me which was the big river ride in Keysburg Illinois and made the goal I think I found it the winter before so it would have been the beginning of 
2017. So like January, February 2017. And I planned to go to the ride in October. So I had plenty of time condition, but Rusty had never done any type of conditioning or riding before. So I I took the whole summer to get him, slowly get him ready for this novice ride. And come late September of 2017, we've gotten so many miles, he's doing great. I'm riding him with my cousin on, in a field that had just been harvested right alongside the road. Lo and behold, here comes a truck down the road and we're... I wouldn't say we're galloping, but we are loping pretty fast or cantering pretty fast. And out of nowhere, he spooked at this truck. He spooked to the side and my stirrup leather broke and I came flying off straight down to the ground. That was a time before, or let's just say it was the lesson that taught me to use a helmet. So I was not wearing a helmet and I was very dizzy and just out of it and after I had like come to my senses I like (laughs) completely forgot about the horse running off and was just trying to look for my stirrup (laughs) and that's all I could focus on I was like where's my stirrup I finally come to my senses just a little bit more I was like oh where's my horse and then uh, my cousin had caught my horse and actually she told me later that he came back up to me and was like looking at me like oh I'm sorry what did I do and a little bit after that was very blurry and I don't remember much like I don't I think my grandpa came and picked me up and took me back to my grandparents house because this field was really close to my grandparents house and I don't remember getting into the truck or riding in the truck I just remember falling off and looking for my stirrup and then all of a sudden I was in my grandparents house And I was so confused and so dazed and I couldn't remember what day it was. I couldn't remember what I've done the last past, I had done the last couple of days and I couldn't find my phone and I was crying. So I was just so confused. And so of course, um, my parents took me to the hospital and lo and behold, they looked everywhere for my phone and it was in my back pocket the whole time. So there's parts of it that were really scary, but a lot of parts I look back and just have to laugh because if I don't laugh, I'd cry. But yeah, that was one of the running jokes as they looked everywhere in the field for my phone and it was my back pocket the whole time. It was the fall of 2016, 2016, not 2017, because it was election year. I remember there was a debate on that night or there is yeah something about a debate and that was the other thing I was super fixated on after I had fallen off like I was trying to reorient myself and I was wondering if the debate was on and I wasn't even planning on watching it but yeah and then it was my cousin's birthday so I kept reorienting myself on those two things my cousin's birthday and the debate I just kept repeating myself over and over My parents are probably sick of me (laughs) repeating those things over and over because I kept asking those questions. And I get to the hospital and uh, I can't remember what tests they did on me, like a CAT scan. Um, There was no bleeding in my brain or anything. It was just a slight concussion. And unfortunately, come to find out, I'd actually chipped my heel bone and... 
so I was devastated because I had spent all summer conditioning Rusty and getting him ready for this ride. And now I was in a boot. Actually, I was in a cast first. I was a walking cast, luckily, but I was in a walking cast. And I asked the doctor what they thought about me being able to go on the ride because... I think it was, so it was end of September and the big river ride was end of October. And they're like, oh, I really don't know. I don't think so. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And so I was devastated. But if there's a will, there's a way. Luckily, Rusty also is broke to drive. So I was like, well, big river ride has a drive option too. And so I called up um, Tony Troyer, which is in Illinois and manages the Rock River Charity Ride. And he gave me some tips and clarified some of the rules on the driving. And I was conditioning Rusty in my walking cast in a cart. My cousin came with me just in case we had to like do an emergency stop or something went wrong so she could get out and get control of Rusty if something went wrong. But otherwise, I would condition him for 10 to 12 miles every now and then, shorter distances, and keep his conditioning up until the ride. A couple weeks before the ride, getting the cast off, getting in a walking boot. I got back on him, but not a long ride. I just, um, just to start getting my leg strength back up, I started riding and walking him around a little bit. Still didn't know if I would be able to ride in the ride, but my sister is a physical therapist, so I asked her, I was like, is there really any damage I can do by riding? And she's like, oh, not really. And so I decided I would ride the ride. I wore a walking boot there and wore a walking boot whenever I wasn't on him, but then took the walking boot off, put on a brace, <laughs> used my dad's cowboy boot so I'd be able to fit the brace in there and then a regular boot on my other foot. I rode my first novice ride with a newly healed heel bone. It went really well. I was super nervous. My cousin did it with me and we ended up getting second place in the novice division with my cousin getting first place and after that I was yeah definitely hooked on the sport and the first experience was kind of humorous, too. Um, I think in the middle of the night, some horses had gotten loose, and they were running right past our tent. During the ride, there were some bikes, some motorbikes, um, or dirt bikes, excuse me. There were some dirt bikes, and that spooked one of the other novice riders that, were, that was with us. It spooked her horse, and the horse did a really quick 360, and she had fallen off, and the horse got loose and was running around. And I don't think they found that horse for at least like another half hour or so. So many interesting things on my first novice ride with Rusty. And hopefully that's the most exciting they will get in that sort of way. But that was the next story I wanted to tell you. I've got many more stories and probably updates in the future. But I wanted to tell you the story of my first novice ride. Thanks. Bye.
Hi, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand. In New Zealand, we often start our bigger rides earlier in the morning. We like to start in the dark and finish in the afternoon rather than um, a lot of other countries that'll start at daybreak and then the longer, the riders who are taking longer often finish in the dark. And having done both now, I definitely prefer to start in the dark so that my dark loops are on a fresh horse and often you'll be in company. You all start out at the same time, so you're riding together, you're on a fresh horse in the dark. Um, I far prefer that to riding a tired horse in the dark and because our fields aren't very big, often if you're riding more slowly, you might be alone and I don't want to be on a tired horse alone in the dark particularly. It's a little bit depressing maybe. Sometimes it's incredibly beautiful, but yeah, I do prefer my dark to be in the morning on a fresh horse. So we started at 3am for the 120. The first 5Ks of the course was just, and each loop started out the same way. It was quite easy. It was beside the road on the grass verge. The next, five, the next 10Ks wasn't too bad. There was quite a bit of up, but it was quite gentle. And then the next 10Ks was about 6Ks of it was solid climb. Um, not much not much rest. Um, there was a lot of just continual uphill climbs, a lot of walking in that section. And then we were down on a bit of semi-flat stuff before coming up again. And so that was a 40k loop. We did it really well. It was light by the time we got back. And it took us four and a half hours because there was such a lot of work in it. it lace vetted really well. We were sitting third, but I really wasn't paying that much attention to it because that wasn't my focus. My focus was to go slowly, look after my pony and enjoy ourselves. And that was one of the big thrills of this ride was that Lace really did seem to be enjoying it herself. So as I was riding along and seeing her ears for, pricked forward, going along beside her friends, well, Kerry's horse is her friend. She doesn't actually like Raquel, Richard's horse, so... They were pulling faces at each other, you know how mares do. But I could tell that she was enjoying herself, so that was really awesome. As we were in the hold, I could see that the two horses who were in the lead were about half, half an hour ahead of us. Um, as I say, I didn't really care about that. I was just kind of noting it because it's a habit, and I often do tend to be a tad competitive, so it just becomes a habit to notice these things. And because Lace was trying her first set of glue-on boots. Um, the last four or five kilometres of each loop, again, was common ground for every loop, and it was on gravel on the road, so where Lace could jog along happily on the stones, Kerry and Richard chose to slow down a little bit um, each loop and just be a bit more careful on the stones because their horses weren't padded, they just had shoes on, so they didn't want to pick up a stone bruise. And so each time I would trot on ahead and I would vet first. And that was good because we only had one crew looking after all of our three horses. So it was great that as I came in first, um, Lisa was able to look after Lace and I, get us into the vet ring, and then she was able to help Kerry and Richard. So each, each loop, each next 
loop, I would be heading out two or three minutes ahead of the other two. So um, I would just walk until they caught up. So that 5Ks that was mainly on road verge, I would just walk along that, waiting for them to catch me up. And I really liked that because on an older horse, that gave Lace a really good chance to warm up properly. Um, she found it a little confusing, um, particularly when there were riders from some of the shorter rides um, out on the road as well, and sometimes they trotted off. And she would get pretty annoyed about that because she's pretty competitive as well and she wanted to go with them and she couldn't understand why I just wanted to walk. But by the time we'd done this, each loop, she sort of got the hang of it a bit. And, yeah, like I say, it was really great that she got to warm up for each loop before we then started trotting and continuing um, the hard work that the course was. So the second loop was only 20 kilometres Again, the 5Ks on the flat going out, 5Ks on the gravel coming back in, 10Ks of pretty tough hill work in between, and it's starting to warm up now. Third loop was 40, the 40-kilometre 40 loop again. Um, I'm not sure why they changed it to be that order, because normally we would have the longer loops earlier and then the shorter loops later when the horses are getting a bit tired and the weather's hotter loop distances usually decrease but um, they changed it at the last minute the night before I don't know why but it certainly actually wasn't too bad to be going out again on the 40 for the third loop unfortunately on that loop Lace actually pulled off one of her boots um, I heard a popping sound as we were trotting up a hill and I looked back and there's this orange boot on the grass so I went back and picked it up and carried it for the rest of the loop it wasn't until about 10 minutes later that I also looked and noticed that she'd lost one of her front boots on the same side as well. Um, she actually had green boots on her front feet, orange boots on the back feet. And so because it was coming up to Christmas and because I could, because I had red and green gear, she was actually wearing a red halter with a green bridle and a red breastplate and green rain. So we had a kind of Christmas theme going on, but um, that also meant that when she lost the green boot, um, I hadn't heard it come off and there was no way I was going to be able to find it in the green grass, even if I had noticed. So that was only 15 k's into the 40 k loop. So we had to do the rest of that loop with only two boots on. Um, and I discovered that that wasn't as bad as it would have been if I'd lost two shoes because until less than a week previously she'd been barefoot anyway um, for 90%, 99% of the time, only putting the boots on when I was riding her along the road. So, And it's not like when the boot, the glued boot comes off, it doesn't pull any hoof away, you don't have broken hoof. So it was just kind of like riding her around the paddocks at home, except for that last 4Ks on the gravel that was a lot harder I could get off on the grass a little bit but there wasn't much grass verge on that last bit so that did slow us down on that third 40k loop but fortunately I had brought along two of my strap-on boots a front one and a back one and was able to put those on for the final loop heading out in the last loop it was actually the two leaders were still half an hour ahead of us but one of them had had to represent and the vet had told him to slow down. I still didn't really worry too much about that. We were still half an hour behind. Um, again, Lace and I walked off um, for a couple of minutes, not as long this time, 
because we'd come in more slowly the previous loop. I wasn't as far ahead of Richard and Kerry, so, but I still got to walk for a good five, five or ten minutes to warm her up. And then, again, we just kept tootling around the course um, the same as we had been. And again, for that final loop, I just picked up my reins a bit and just kept her interested, made sure I was guiding her on the best track. And um, about halfway round that loop, again, it's only the 20k loop, about halfway round, um, Richard and Kerry were a little concerned about Richard's horse. She hadn't been drinking as much as she normally does. Normally she's a good drinker and she hadn't been drinking well. Um, there was one particularly muddy, grotty-looking puddle that they had really been drinking well out of. It must have tasted good. It didn't look good. Lace and Kerry's horse had both drunk out of this puddle, but Raquel hadn't, and she'd been the one the previous loop who'd liked it the most. So they were just a little bit worried, and so Kerry wanted to just slow down a bit. Again, it was their first 120k ride. This was the furthest those two horses had been. Lace is much more experienced. She was feeling really good, and I was just so happy with her she was you know the way she'd been going so Kerry said hey look you go on you know you don't have to wait for us so I picked Lace up and we just went and did some cantering and it was so much fun and she was really enjoying herself we were heading home she knew the course so we sort of sped up a little bit had a great time um were able to power home a bit on the gravel road instead of the slow coming in we'd had the previous loop with the two missing shoes we now had boots back on there was a little bit of grass there and we were ripping along but I also wanted to concentrate on this season one of my aims is that I want to go for the best managed because I'm slowing down lace don't want to be aiming for going for first place I'm not doing that this season with her I don't want to push her too hard so I've been aiming for the best managed so that's where you get a score of the lag time. So one minute equals one point for your lag time, how quick you get into the vet ring for each loop. Um, your parameters add up. So for every A, you get a one. For every B, you get a two. They all add up towards your best managed score. And the CRI, the Cardiac Recovery Index. So if you've got a negative CRI, if the heart rate goes down for that second heart rate, then that's really good because that reduces your best managed score and it's the lowest score that wins. So you don't want to come in too fast. So, you know, the last sort of half K slowed her right down to a slow jog and then walked for a while and blow me down. I get to in sight of the finish and the two winners, first and second place, were right there at the start-finish line. They were still just weighing, having just got in 10 minutes before me. So, you know, had I known that, had I cared about that, Lace could have won it. You know, one of the times coming off the starting the loop ahead of Kerry and Richard, Kerry had had to represent her horse, because one of the vets was just a little concerned about some of her parameters, and so they'd been late starting, and I'd walked for 20 minutes. You know, in hindsight, if I'd left them then, maybe we could have caught up, but also maybe we wouldn't have had such a good ride. You know, if I'd gone faster, Lace may not have made it, you know. Um, so I am glad that I didn't get caught up in the competitive part of the ride, 
um, and that I just continued with my game plan, which was just to get through to look after her. And she came through so well, and it was a real thrill to be doing that last loop, just that last part of that last loop a bit faster. It's always nice to have a horse that's got that energy at the end and that feels good. And I'm just so thrilled that my favourite horse still loves the game at 19 and really looking forward now to the 160k ride, which is at the end of January. Oh, and we did win Best Managed, so yay, goal achieved, and roll on the 160. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, that's right, the following week, just a few days ago, um, Lace's second foal, Jimmy, had his first day out at a little mini endurance ride where it's not, there are no vets, there's no, it's not an official event, but they open up their farm gates and mark a small course. It's usually about seven or eight k's long and it's a really great thing to take your young horses along to. So Jimmy went along to that with a friend of mine on her nice, quiet, sensible horse and he had a really good day out and behaved himself wonderfully and um, yeah everything's marvellous. Merry Christmas and we'll catch you next year. Bye bye. This is Courtney Kruger. When I'm not doing right in tie, I am the pastor of the First Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Chris asked me if I would offer a Christmas reflection for this final podcast of 2019. And when I think about Christmas and I think about horses and I think about the Endurance Horse podcast, naturally I had to think of horse poop. Well, maybe not naturally, but bear with me. One of the ministries that our church has is a ministry we call Bridge Chattanooga. And we give uh, urban children, middle schoolers, the opportunity to come and experience outdoor activities that they wouldn't get to experience otherwise. They get to go caving, and they get to go hiking, and they often get to go on a boat ride on the Tennessee River. And always, during the six-week uh, uh, program, they have the opportunity to come out to our farm and get to not only see the horses, but to ride horses. And about every six weeks, we have a different group of uh, middle school children who come out to uh, experience horses. And oftentimes, this is the very first time they've ever been up close to a horse. And I kind of forget how intimidating a horse can be. But the kids get off of the bus, and I usually have the horse standing right there. And there's this 850-pound animal there. And I tend to see our horses as great big teddy bears. But, of course, they see them as these gigantic, scary beasts. And so I work really hard. And Lee and I, my wife, have discovered uh, some techniques we can use to help them uh, get more comfortable with the horses. And I've almost never had a kid... To ultimately refuse to ride. Uh, they get off the, ho the, the bus and say, I can't get on that horse. And by the end of the day, they often are riding, and sometimes they're even in the round pen riding the horse, not even on a lead line. But I always forget when we are moving from the where the, the bus is parked out in our main front yard into the pasture to warn the kids that they are going to encounter horse poop in the pasture. All of us who have horses know if you have horses, you're going to have horse poop 
but uh, I always forget to tell the kids that. And they come in the pasture and they start squealing and screaming and dancing around. And I'm kind of just tromping right through it because I hardly even notice it anymore. Uh, for them, uh, poop uh, on the ground is just disgusting. Uh, for me, it's not only natural, but it's a good thing. I mean, we do endurance sports. And in endurance, one of the things you want to know when you're evaluating how your horse is doing is that EDPP, Eating, drinking, pooping, peeing. And if they're doing all of those things, you know they're in pretty good shape. And so if there's poop in the pasture, then that might mean, probably means that we have pretty healthy horses, and that's a good thing. I also have to admit, I don't mind the smell of horse poop. It is uh, kind of, for me, the smell of home. Uh, obviously not the smell, hopefully not the smell of inside of our home, uh, but that smell that tells me this is where I belong, and it's almost a calming smell for me. So what does all of that have to do with Christmas? Well, as everyone knows, Mary and Joseph had to stay in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn. And does that mean that the Holiday Inn or the Comfort Inn in Bethlehem was all sold out? Well, that's often what we hear in the story, but that's likely not actually what is going on here. They were probably at the home of one of Joseph's relatives. The culture in that day, even in this day in the Middle East, is a culture of hospitality. And Joseph would not likely have had to stay at a hotel, but he would have stayed with some relatives because we know that he was from Bethlehem. Now, there was no room for them in the inn, Luke tells us, but the word for inn in Greek is ketaluma, and it's not a hotel. It's instead uh, kind of the main part of the house. The main part of the house is the Cataluma, and it's the part that has the living quarters and has where people would sleep and has uh, all of the other uh, uh, things that would be in the house. And uh, because this was the time when everyone was coming to the census, the Cataluma was just cram cr uh, crammed full of people. And there was probably kids running around and aunts and uncles tripping over themselves. And it was absolutely the worst place possible for a pregnant woman to be. Mary needed a little bit of peace. She needed quiet. And when it was time for the baby to be born, she would, of course, need a lot of privacy. And so the family says, why don't you stay in the stable? Now, the stable would not have likely been a separate building, but actually part of the main house. It would have been dug into the ground a little bit below the house with an external door on the outside of the house and would have been dug down with a ladder or maybe a set of stairs so that the animals down below would not be able to get up into the top part, into the Cataluma. And it would have been a fairly large area, of course, because it would be a place where the animals would need to be. It would be more private, and it would be a much better place for Mary and Joseph. Now, they kept the animals inside, of course, to keep them safe, but they also kept them inside to keep people warm. Uh, that was a, a part of the world which then and now does not have a lot of wood, would not have had a lot of ways to heat a home, of course. They didn't have central heating and that kind of thing. And so the animals could actually help keep them warm. On, I believe it's the AERC Facebook page right now, there's a story about a woman who was worried about her horses. She was having to transport them a number of hours in uh, uh, under 20 degree weather, even weather that was approaching zero, and she was worried how would the horses fare in the horse trailer, the uninsulated horse trailer. And she put a little thermometer in there that had a sensor that, that would report up to the cab of the truck what the temperature was. And the whole trip, while it is uh, around zero degrees outside, it never got below 40 degrees inside the horse trailer. The uh, horses kept themselves and the horse trailer warm, and that's exactly what would be going on in Bethlehem as well. And so the family is not only giving Mary and Joseph uh, plenty of space and privacy, they're giving them the warmest room in the house. 
or perhaps the stable didn't have any or very many animals in it. We know that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks out in the fields at night uh, at this time. And so it may be there weren't many animals in there. And so in a sense, they were giving them the best room in the house. And even though it may have smelled a little bit of poop, it would have been a smell for them that would have smelled like home and would have made them feel that they belonged. When it was time for Jesus to be born, we often see in the movies or or in the stories that uh, it was just up to Joseph to somehow deliver this baby. But quite likely, Joseph would have been shooed out of the stable, uh, maybe up to the Cataluma to take care of some of the nephews or nieces, while the women of the family would have come and helped Mary. And this was a wonderful family event. And Jesus would have been born amidst family, and it would have been a, a place where he was cared for and where Mary was cared for and where Joseph was cared for. And let's be honest, wouldn't there, aren't there some holidays where you would have preferred to have stayed in the horse trailer or in your stable or in your barn instead of in the main part of the house? And so we can really see this as a charming, heartwarming way that the family of Joseph took care of Mary and of uh, Joseph and of course of Jesus. As Luke tells us, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And so there is little Jesus, the word become flesh, coming to live among us in a manger, in a stable, smelling faintly or worse of poop. But what better place for God to show up than in the most ordinary and natural place possible, a stable connected to a home where love ruled. It was in a place where he belonged, and he was with parents to whom he belonged. But he came not in order to belong, belong, but in order to open the doors of God's family to everyone so that all of us might belong, whether we smell of poop or not. And so I hope that this Christmas season, perhaps as you get a whiff of poop or you are in your stable or your barn, you may get a sense of the wonder of God becoming flesh and living among us, the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. Have a merry, a sacred, a holy Christmas, and have a wonderful 2020. Hey everybody, this is Jessica Isbrecht, um, and I am currently in Brawley, California. Uh, I checked in last and told you that I was prepping for and looking forward to the national championships uh, in Ridgecrest, California on Halloween. And I'm happy to report that River, my Tennessee walker, and I completed the Open 50 on Halloween. And I was dressed as a mermaid and she was my seahorse. Um, It was really a lot of fun riding in costume. I hadn't done that since I was a kid, so um, I was pretty stoked on that and had a great time. Uh, Quite a few other riders rode in costume as well, so it was a lot of fun seeing everybody that day. Um, It was shockingly cold. Uh, The morning started out at 23 degrees, so um, actually on our way out of camp, my costume was pretty minimal because of all of my layers So I just had my mermaid tail hanging off the saddle and I was calling us the frozen fish sticks. So I got a lot, I got a kick out of that. It was, it was great. Um, 
We finished the day in second place in the open division and River received high vet score. So I was really stoked about that. Um, it was a, a great, great day overall. And then two weeks later, um, both my horses competed in an LD together at 60 Años in um, Santa Inez, California. That's kind of on the coast-ish area near Santa Barbara. So it was lots of rolling hills and um, like oak trees and stuff and two-track dirt roads. It was really nice, um, beautiful scenery. Uh, both horses did really well. Um, I was very nervous about Mackenzie, my Cleveland Bay Thoroughbreds, re-entry into endurance um, because she had injured her stifle last year in a turnout accident. So um, I was kind of on edge leading up to it, and I had originally tried to get my husband to ride River, who is actually his horse, um, and accompany me in the LD so that Mackenzie would be a little bit calmer with her friend um, riding along with her. But I knew that he wasn't in the best shape. He hadn't been riding very much in the last few months. So at the last minute, I put um, a post on the Southern California Endurance Riders Facebook page asking if anyone was interested in catch riding. And I met a really nice lady named Jamie. And um, she met me out at the ride and got to know River. And I discovered that um, this was actually going to be her first LD ever. Um, I knew that she was green, but uh, I didn't realize that it was her first endurance ride ever. So I felt really special um, helping her through that and giving her a great experience on River. Both horses were pretty amped up at the start, and we had to spend a few miles holding them back. And uh, I had to keep telling Jamie, who was in the lead, to um, try to slow River down because I didn't want Mackenzie straining herself too hard in the beginning. Um, I really wanted to get her nice and warmed up before we did too much fast trotting. So... Um, the day was successful. We completed in just under six hours um, because there was a lot of climbing involved. And again, I was riding very conservatively to make sure that Mackenzie got through it sound. Uh, and then I took the next day off. And on the third day of this XP ride, I hopped on river myself and... Um, we, complete, we completed a 25-mile LD as well, and um, I found myself from the start riding with the front runners, and it was my first time kind of, I don't know, doing that, going that fast, and not that we were going crazy fast, but we were trotting at a pretty good clip the entire way. Um, and I knew that River was in really good condition. I had even considered maybe doing back-to-back -back 50s at this point. Um, but, again, I hadn't done that yet. So I kind of used this opportunity to uh, see what she was made of. And we, we did really well. Um, there were even a couple 
short stints of galloping along on that LD, and she did really great. Uh, we were actually intentionally, or I was intentionally going faster in the morning because it was forecasted to um, get up into the 80s that day, and I knew that being a Tennessee walker, she would have a little more trouble once the temperatures went up. So uh, we we were booking along at a good clip all morning, and the uh, vet check kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize how close to it we actually were when we came in. So instead of walking for maybe a mile like I should have after going steady all morning, uh, we only really had like a few hundred yards <laughs> or a quarter mile at the most of walking because she didn't like being separated from those front runners. So I had a really hard time holding her back and keeping her calm. Um, if I wanted to try to slow her down as we were coming towards it. So anyway, it took us much longer than it ever has to get her to pulse down. Probably, I don't know, 10 to 12 minutes, uh, which is not the end of the world, but it did allow quite a few people to pass me. And honestly, I was getting hot by this point anyway, so I was happy to take the rest of the ride pretty slowly. And um, it turned out that we were only like five miles from the finish, so uh, I pretty much ended up walking the entire rest of the way in. Um, but we got our completion and it was a really good learning experience. I'm still learning how to pace myself. And, um, that was the end of our 2019 season and I couldn't be happier about it. This year I went from having only one LD and one CTR under my belt to, now having 310 miles on just river alone and then 35 on Mackenzie. Um, so I'm really happy I did my first 50, which I did not expect to do so soon. Um, and I have my sights set on next year and bigger goals. Again, I've I don't know if I'll ever reach a hundred miles, but I at least want to try and see if I get there. So definitely a 75 is in our future, if not a um, hundred. So I actually looked at the ride schedule for next year and kind of started planning my, my travel route to coincide with some of the rides I want to do. And uh, I found an elevator ride in Oregon, so I think that that's going to be our our chance to try for longer distances. And I also definitely want to hit uh, the Bighorn 50 with River. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, it's been a great year, and I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime over the winter, but not too, too much. And I hope everybody has a great holiday and has a wonderful season in 2020.
Hi, Daryl from New Zealand. I've talked on here before about my endurance goals being all about distance rather than podium placings. And I'm sure I've also said that others tell me not to plan because horses are horses and anything can happen. I like to have goals though, and I figure that's okay so long as you're prepared to be flexible and adjust goals as you need to. To steal a line from Pirates of the Caribbean, they're more like guidelines anyway, those goals. So I was playing episode one of the podcast for a friend on our way home from the 120k ride at the beginning of this month and heard myself talking about my goals for my two horses, mileage goals and decade team for Salty. This year is our 10th year together, me and Salty. So just 100k successfully completed to meet the mark to get decade team. Our season in New Zealand starts in August and our first ride this season was in September. I was ride organiser and ground crew for that one so I didn't get to ride. So our first competition for the season was in October. It was a stunning venue, wonderful scenery, great footing, out to the checkpoint, then turn around and come back on the same track. Unfortunately, an old fence post that apparently wasn't there on the way out leapt out and scared Salty on the way home, and he did a huge sideways shy and pulled a tricep at the top of the at the end of the 40k. Not a huge injury, um, so no biggie. But his last ride of last season ended up with a lameness vet out as well, hind end that time, after he ended up running through deep sand when he was acting up for my junior rider. Under our rules, we have stand-down periods, and for consecutive lamenesses, there is an additional stand-down. I don't have a problem with that, because if there's a pattern of lameness, then he should be getting a longer period of recovery anyway. However, a third consecutive lameness means a three-month stand-down. When we trained at home and we were watching carefully to make sure he was well and, would, and truly over it, he seemed fine and then we took him to Waiuru to reset the counter with a successful, fin successful finish in the 40k. I wasn't going to risk a long distance. We had a really good ride, nice steady pace and even gait the whole way through, for Salty anyway, he's always a, special, a bit special in his gait. Good vetting, nice and quick, into the vet ring, and as I ran him out, I could see a bit of a nod out of the corner of my eye. Absolutely gutted. Ten years of competition, three of them with a 100% success rate, and then I get a three-month stand down in the tenth year. The real bummer is that there now won't be enough rides on the calendar for me to get him to that 100k mark, even with 100% success for the rest of the season. I'm allowed to be a bit sad about that, I think. Last November, I was on a training ride at home with him and he got a big rock jammed in his shoe between the heels. He has a bit of an uneven gait at the best of times, so at first I thought it was just his action, but then I stopped to check and sure enough there was this huge rock. It was jammed so tight I had to bash it with a rock to break it before I could get it to come out. I wondered at the time if I was going to pay for it later and I think I still am. I think there's an abscess up there that's been brewing all that time which would account for his record, his record last season as well. So I've emotionally kissed goodbye to the decade team goal. And if I want him to get to the 5,000k mark, it's looking like I'll have to make that the goal for next season. Horses are a great leveller, and endurance horses more so than most. His shoes are coming off this weekend, and we'll try, keep trying to get him right. He's 15 years old now, 299 k's away from the 5k mark. He doesn't owe me much and has achieved more than anyone thought he would with his dodgy action. I haven't written him off, but I've dialed back my goals a bit. Hey, that's horses. Scratch, my chestnut has been going well. He and I are in our eighth year together. 
I did 40 k's with him at the beginning of October and 60 k's at the end of October. So that's our progress for decade team secured for the season. With the 60 kilometre completion, that also meant he passed the 4,000 kilometre mark. So my two foremost goals for him for the season have been achieved. Yay! The rest of the season for him is about FEI rides with an Australian rider. Camille has ridden him a couple of times already, so this season I propose that she come and do three rides with him, the 120k and then North Island Champs and Nationals. I've been a bit concerned that I haven't had enough training with him this season, but then under-trained is better than over-trained, and we weren't aiming for a win. It was really good to see Camille and her lovely little girl Charlotte when they arrived, and then the showers arrived, and I'm talking about weather. Now, I guess the definition of shower is that it has a beginning and an end. In that case, these were certainly showers. I wouldn't normally expect a shower to last two hours, though, or have quite so much water in it. I think that's actually called rain. Camille is from Queensland, and I think she saw more rain in two hours that evening than she'd seen in 18 months at home in Australia. The rain finished, though, and we rode in beautiful conditions on Sunday, heading out in the dark at 3am. The views as we headed back towards base in the dawn were amazing, with Mount Ruapehu peeking out of the cloud like an oil painting. Just amazing. It was a really nice course. Bits of land we've ridden over before, but a whole bunch of new stuff as well. We mostly ride over private land in New Zealand, and part of the deal with that is that we leave gates as we find them, and there were a number of them on this ride, most of which could easily be opened from horseback, but one or two we had to dismount for. One of them turned out to have an electric current going through it. That was a bit challenging. So I made Mike, my ride partner, I made him get off and do that one. Anyway, about 38 kilometres down, 2Ks left for the first loop, and I looked down beside me and noticed fresh blood on Scratch's front leg. I got off and checked it out, and it was quite a deep gash right on the front of the fetlock. Looked like he'd tripped on a stick or something, rather, ripped it open. We washed it off and he trotted up just fine, but we made the decision to pull during the hold before it became a lameness problem. Bad luck, Camille. I felt really bad that she'd come all the way up from Australia to end up doing 40 kilometres and being pulled. Again, that's horses, I guess, and one of the other Australians didn't even get that far. Mike and I carried on and finished the 120 kilometre with both Blazer and Bonnie looking awesome. If we're talking mileage goals, Blazer passed the 2,000k mark with this ride, and Bonnie is exactly 160 kilometres away from 3,000. So no pressure for North Island chance for me and Bonnie. Our teammate Ruth gave her ride on Dusty to a junior for this ride, and Fiona had an amazing ride. I think it was the fastest she's ridden, and she's absolutely smitten with Dusty the Grey Pony. He's a special wee boy with great heart rates, and I'm looking forward to seeing him and Ruth competing at North Island Champs. Our New Zealand season finishes in May-June. So this is mid-season for us, but that's it for 2019. The horses have a couple of weeks rest now, and then we'll start working up again towards Champs in January. In theory, we'll have all three in the 160, and one in the 120, with Salty obviously sitting this one out now. A number of years ago, Scratch was still a novice. We were heading down to Champs with three horses and only to ended up taking one. Snotty noses, I think it was, that time. So again, horses, anything can happen. We'll take it as it comes and be glad with whatever we achieve. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from the New Zealand summer season. My name is Jennifer Fisher. 
I am from southeast South Dakota, where we are in the midst of a winter storm warning. We have snow on the ground, and so my riding season is halted for now. I own two horses, a half Arabian and a purebred Arabian, whose name is Ali Saba. Saba is 19 years old and has been with me for 16 of those years. He is the most amazing horse I have ever been privileged to own. He is very willing, loves people, and keeps me safe at rides. I got into horses when I was two years old. My dad was driving to Pizza Hut to get a pizza in Vermilion, South Dakota. There was a girl riding a horse in the ditch. He says I started to complain about riding the horse, so he pulled over and asked the girl if I could ride with her, and he would pick me up on the way back from getting his pizza. He said it was absolutely the worst mistake in his life because I never gave up begging for a horse after that. At the age of 10, I purchased my first horse, a neglected five-year-old Arabian named Kelly. Kelly went on to fulfill my life in 4-H, trail rides, and many hours exploring the Black Hills of South Dakota. When I was 14, I was a junior rider on a 15-mile novice ride called the Beautiful Black Hills Ride. We did two of those that summer, getting a fourth place and a first place. Then my parents divorced, and I had to give up my endurance dreams for many years. I never forgot about getting back into endurance, but life moved on f with children and a marriage. In 2009, I was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer, undergoing many surgeries and chemotherapy. However, I continued to ride during that time, although I needed help to get on and off my horse. I even rode in a horse show once, bald, because I had to shave off what little hair I had left. I swore if I got better, I would go to an endurance ride someday. Shortly thereafter, I found a Natrack ride near me, and I went on to do quite a few of those. Then, in 2013, my friends encouraged me to go to Minnesota and do two back-to-back 30-mile -back LDs. That was September of 2015. In October of 2015, I did my first 50-miler in Minnesota. Since then, my horse and I have done 1650s and 60s, including the Bighorn, Shamrock, and Strawberry Fields. My ultimate goal is to ride the Tevis Cup on my horse or find someone to allow me that opportunity on theirs. In 2018, I went through a difficult divorce and I did not know if I could keep my horse. However, I managed and in August of 2019, we rode in our first 50 in over a year at Fort Meade. We finished successfully. I love endurance riding because I love to challenge myself and I enjoy being out in nature. I also enjoy traveling to rides with my friends when I can. My goals for 2020 are to ride the Bighorn 100 and head to Fort Howes, Montana. For my personal health, I still suffer some effects of chemotherapy and I also have arthritis. I lift weights, do programs at the gym like P90X and kickboxing to help keep up my strength and flexibility. When I am riding, I try not to push my horse as I want our goal to our goal to be that we finish together at rides as a happy and healthy team. My word of advice to anyone out there is to never give up on your goals. Difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. Hello, this is Chris. And Jim. And we wanted to say Happy New Year and happy birthday to Jen, who sent in her first audio. She was the one you just heard. 
and I want to talk about what's coming up next for the podcast. But I also want to thank Jim for uh, building me a pretty nice barn. It's little, but it's cozy, and I'm super happy. So thank you, hon. Pretty much all finished. The horses are all moved in. Got a little bit of tweaking to do here and there and build the tack room yet, but that'll probably come in the spring. Yeah, so I'm super, super thankful. So thank you. You're welcome. Sorry if we fought it all during the building process. Oh, I got all kinds <laughs> of brand new tools out of the deal. I'm happy. <laughs> That's true. So coming up new in 2020, I'm going to try to add some more interviews to the podcast. We'll see how that goes. And the January episode is going to be all about rider health. And it's going to be a large spectrum. So it might be some people dealing with an illness that they're overcoming or an injury that they had had or possibly um, just how horses. I am trying to work with two people to send in audio that are going to talk about horses as therapy for riders. And along with rider health, it could be what are your health goals for 2020? And I know what ours are, Jim. So are you really up for this? Well, you know, you got to take care of more than just the horse. You got to take care of yourself too. And yeah. our plan is, is trail running and uh, you've got an ambitious schedule for us and hopefully <laughs> we can keep it and we'll be happy and healthy in 2020. Well, I'm really looking forward to it because I know we did do the running program in 2018. And, and what did you think of of those, we did five runs, and one of them was a very hard 8K trail run. Oh, I had lots of fun. We totally turtled that. <laughs> there was a lot of hills. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It. Uh, by the time I got back there, I think I probably sweated out about three gallons. Yeah, it was literally all hills, just hills. But the nice thing was at the turnaround point, they had watermelon and all sorts of yummy things. Yep. So... Yeah, that was fun. So it was so much fun and torture. I think we're going we're gonna to try that again. There's a couple right on the trail system that we ride on, actually. I hope all of you have a uh, merry and a blessed 2020, and we'll see you next year. And also, if you listen on iTunes, if you could go give us a good rating and a review, I appreciate it. It helps us to be up there in the search engine when people are searching for Endurance Horse Podcast. And one last thing, if you could share the podcast with a friend, let's grow this podcast together in 2020. Absolutely. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. And happy trails. Bye. Bye.